This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for our personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in the aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are Capitalizers, and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I'm your host, Christopher A. Paniotti, the Cap in Capitalize. And today we have a very special guest, one of my new best friends of the year, 2023, our Lord and Savior. He is the author of Blue Collar Cash, the founder of Rusk Industries. Ladies and gentlemen, my good friend, Ken Rusk, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. And and I loved your book, Blue Collar Cash. For those of you listening in, if you've not bought it, what are you doing? Go on Amazon right now and buy it. No pressure, but his family's financial future depends on it. And because <laughs> of the book, I, I actually want to dive right in because um, you go over a lot of not only surface level black and white things that people need to know about their financial livelihood, whether you're blue collar or white collar. Um, but there's a lot more profound business uh, pieces of advice that that I want to discuss. And so right out of the gate, I believe you mentioned a study by Andrea J. Stenberg that states, quote, in order to internalize a new concept or idea, meaning to integrate it into your values, beliefs, and identity, you must hear it or see it a minimum of seven times. Now, coincidentally, when I started my business, I I learned very early on, even though it's a white collar job, it took about seven times or seven asks until we got the business. And so uh, my question is to you, Ken, in the blue collar world, in general, how much education goes into the sales side of the training? And what about networking? Well, that's a great question. So a long time ago, and I will date myself if I tell you how long ago, I went to a Tom Hopkins sales class. Uh, For those of you that know Tom Hopkins, he was back in the almost, uh, he was like maybe after the Zig Ziglar days, but before, you know, the the current. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And uh, I just remember, you know, I I was fortunate because I worked really hard and I I had to, um, I had to think about internalize and, and memorize a lot of kind of closes, if you will. And uh, I ended up taking fourth out of like six or 700 people that were in that class. And I, I remember that the, the way that I did it was just by repeating it and then internalizing it and trying to see what the words meant. You know, it's one thing to hear something seven times. It's another thing to kind of put a picture to that word. So for me, seeing it, and, and that's that's really half the premise of my book is is seeing it first and getting it uh, what the mind sees that attracts itself to it's our our brain is so powerful and we don't even use most of it in our lifetime so to tap into some of the visual sides of our of our of our brain which is again what what most big thinkers do and not, i'm not talking about myself i'm talking about you know guys like Elon Musk and and people that you know that invent huge industries okay bill gates and the rest of them they see things so to to put something a word or a phrase together with a picture and to do that seven times usually locks it in uh, in pretty well sure well and also now that i'm thinking about it because with anything blue collar you're generally producing something those sale it's pretty black and white like even if even if you're not socially inept shall we say if you put out a beautiful product it's going to be a beautiful product versus in the white collar world, it's, you, you can't necessarily feel it. It's not tangible all the time. And so do you think that it's a preconceived notion that a lot of these blue collar business owners that start out, they think, oh, my product is going to get me there. And they forget that the personal side is just as if not more important. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're, you're right on with that. I, I also think it depends on how much you want to grow your business. I mean, obviously, you can you can find people that are in absolute 100% dire need of what you do, and you're the only one that does it, and that's near to them. So by default, you're going to win that contract. 
I think if you want to grow your business and, and get beyond that particular need, then you need to start developing needs and wants. And uh, in order to develop needs and wants, you have to paint pictures for people, and you have to get those pictures internalized. And typically that takes you know multiple times of seeing that type of motivation or that emotional connection or that need. So, uh, yeah, I, you can either just wait for the phone to ring or you can go out and make your business happen. And I think if you want to make it really happen and grow, you got to get after it. And one of the ways by doing that is really putting out a, an amazing story, a compelling story about what it is that you actually do to people that may be thinking, well, you know, someday I might need that, but I don't know if it's right now. And you can convert them to now that way. Well, in speaking of growth, so back in, in 1986, you started with uh, six employees. And over the years, growing it to over 200, that's no joke. I mean, that is some serious growth. And so uh, my question is more so on scaling and, and I've personally been under the mentality of growing lean and mean and, and the beauty with a service-based business is you can do that. Um, and, and I'm super fortunate to have the best unbiased teammate slash assistant in Betty. Shout out to Betty. Love you to death. So we've grown more and more efficient over the years, which has kicked the can down the road of eventually bringing people on. However, there is going to be a point or I know, even though we joke Betty's never going to retire, that I know she's going to want to retire because she'll be sick and tired of me or whatever the case is. And so that will eventually lead to us bringing on more admins. So, so my question is, how did you overcome the hiring process that so many CEOs face? And, and did it get easier as time went on? I think it's all in the messaging. And, and that, that's a great question. So for me, you know, it used to be that you could have an ad in the paper and 15 people would be in your foyer the next day all wanting that job. Well, now it's a little different. Now you'll have three people in that in your foyer and, and they're looking back at you saying, hey, man, what's in it for me to work here? <laughs> so the, the hiring environment has totally changed. And I've hired a couple thousand people over the last 30 years. So I could see it. I could feel it. I, I could actually experience it. So for, for me, I thought, well, okay, so I need to answer that question. I need to get really good at, you know, you could be off-put by that question, by the way. I mean, you could say, hey, you know, the ego kicks in, you know, me, boss, you, employee, how, how dare you ask me that question? But I've, I've been, I flipped that right away because I, I wanted people that wanted to work here and could figure out, well, okay, so what Ken's saying here is, through his culture that I can obviously see, feel, I, I can I can experience this stuff right as soon as I walk in the door, they started to think, well, maybe I can find a way to make my life work with and through this company that Ken has. So I, I found that by, by replicating as many people as I could and getting them as quickly as I could into an entrepreneurial mode. Okay, you heard that, you've heard the term oh, yes. entrepreneurial employees. So... I wanted to just get as many people around me that were all thinking, okay, I'm going to work for me first and Ken second, okay? I'm going to be selfish here. And, and I don't mean selfish at the detriment of others. I mean focused on self. Most times people talk about when they're hiring, they talk about what their company does and what you're going to be doing and the uniform you're going to wear and the time you have to be here and your salary and everything else. But they very often say, well, why are you here? Like, I know you need a job. Let's, I, let's get that out of the way. I know you need money. Let's get, but for what? Like, what's your world all about? Yeah. And when you start asking that question, first off, you get people to look at you like deer in the headlights, like no one's ever asked me that. How, I can't believe you care that much about me as a person. And um, I wanted to replicate what I knew I could do. And I wanted to replicate that as many times as possible. You know, they say find the right formula, then scale it, like replicate it as much as you can. So that's what I did. And I just, I just tried to, to surround my, myself with people who are all saying, I can get what I want for myself with and through this company. Ken cares about my future more than anything else. And, um, yeah, that's how it started. And it just kind of goes from there. Well, in, in, so speaking of wanting everything for your employees, so you mentioned in the book one of your first employees, Tim, in his journey, in, in your journey alongside him, digging him out of a rut, maybe literally, and in building a vision with him for, for him and his family's future. So from a business perspective, obviously as the company grows, that becomes 
in, I would imagine increasingly more difficult for you because you can't put all of your attention on 200 people like you can with one. Like it, it's mathematically impossible. Um, and not to mention there's turnover, all of that. And so in your business today, because I know what you want for people, not just your people, but everyone, whether it's your classes, book, sure. um, how do you keep that love and that concentrated love for your people alive today in, in that, that type of vision and mentality. And then I'm also going to push back and say, if, if some people come in, they go, look, I just want to do my job and I want to be a great employee. Can that be enough? Well, to, the, the second question is, uh, yeah, I, I want to do a good job and I want to be a good employee. I would just say, okay, for like, why? why do you want to be a good employee? Why do you just want to do your job? What's in it for you then to do that? Because I I don't think anybody comes to work without some type of, of, of reason or some type of, they want to belong. They want to have security. They want to make some money. They want to advance their life. You know, I don't think anyone comes to work to just remain status quo for the rest of their lives. I, I think they're exposed to lots of different things in the world and things that intrigue them and maybe, things that they desire or whatever, ways that they can improve their life. So, yeah, if somebody came to me and said, I don't really have a reason for working, I just need to work, maybe that's not the employee that I want, sure. okay? Sure. Um, if, I can't, if I can't eventually dig deeper and, 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 you know, break that shell a little bit and find out what the real motivation is. So, yeah, and, and as far as it becoming increasingly difficult, well, I have to tell you that once, once somebody understands – that you as a manager, employer, boss, whatever you want to call it, once they understand that you really want to see them win, and, and, and i got to tell you, Chris, I've said this a million times in front of the whole staff, I can't get what I want for myself, nor can my company get what it wants and needs until all of you get what you want for yourselves first. I mean, this is a pretty simple input versus output scenario, and I'm usually at the end of the output, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how business owners work typically. So, and they believe that. And, and so as soon as they start hitting small goals first, like, you know, they paid off that annoying visa card or they got their, driver, their driver's license straightened out or maybe they got their first used car or they built the checking account or whatever it might be. They got their first apartment or, or they're saving for a house, down payment for a house. Once they start winning at that, they become self-sufficient at that. And, and now it's like, okay, Ken, thanks for that training. Thanks for that little launch pad. Now get out of my way and let me go build my life. And so the more that happens, the more that catches fire with everybody else. And now we literally have a big black glass board uh, hanging on the wall in, in, our, in our offices here with all these little tiny goals written all over it. You know, it's, I'm going to start on April 1st. I'm going to save this much money a week. I'm going to get this, this thing accomplished. I'm going to end it by June 20th. And they sign it and date it and off they go. And everyone gets to kind of share in that. So people recognize really quick who the people are that are chasing things and who the people are that aren't. And I can tell you, it just so happens to be that the people that are chasing things are all the ones that have the highest, best positions, the most well-paid positions in the company because it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Right. Well, just make sure that you double-check the people that write that on April 1st if they actually go through with it because it could be just on you, right? So now when when you were telling your story, it's a little bit abstract of a question, but you mentioned – today that your portfolio is diverse and it spans across the construction spectrum. Now, obviously I don't want numbers. Okay. I don't want to, I don't want to get into that, but can you elaborate just qualitatively on what that net worth portfolio looks like today to give capitalizers in the blue collar world, a breakdown of one of the most successful blue collar workers financials? Yeah. I mean, you don't want numbers. All I can tell you is there are there are five different concerns within Rusk Industries. Each one of them could be a whole career on its own that would be very successful for any family on its own. And um, yeah, it, it's it's in the tens of millions, but it's it's good and and um, it's it's something that I felt I had to do because. At any one company, you're going to reach a level where you have to support yourself with that company and then you support the people around you. 
Well, I wanted more for myself, but I also wanted more for the people around me. So I, I went to them and I said, okay, we continue to grow at a really good pace here with this main company. Uh, if, if, if we can get some people around us to help us continue that process and take me out of the picture a little bit, I now have the freedom to go open up these extension companies or these different types of other opportunities. That in tunes creates more revenue for me. I'm now less dependent on revenue from this company, which means I can share more of that with all of you. So you're kind of like buying your freedom to go create more. And people couldn't be happier because now they control their own financial futures. And and they ask me all the time, how's that project going? And how's this one going? And what's next? They, They want me out of the building going out and prospecting and finding these other opportunities because it helps them as well. And, um, I've said this before, and I know it sounds a little controversial, but I believe that when you run a company with a lot of people in it or or whatever, I think you need to, your goal should be to make yourself irrelevant to that company. And I say that only because not that you want to just disappear and not have an effect, but you want to be able to rise above that company, tear the roof off, look back down, and then plug yourself in spontaneously wherever you want to to create, fix, repair, visualize, whatever, and take yourself out of the Ken has to do this or else it won't get done. Um, Because the more relevant you are to your company, the more you can drive it, the more you can drive not only that particular opportunity but any other ones that you come across as well. Sure. Well, and also I I should have said at the beginning, you could have shared numbers if you wanted to. We have some people that get very uncomfortable, and then we have some that are very honest. We had a – an investor on who I'll, I'll name nameless actually he hasn't come on yet. And, uh, I remember hearing a story from another colleague asking him basically indirectly what his net worth was, which you don't really do, right? Like that's kind of just a taboo thing. And he just texted it. I mean, like to the, almost to the penny. So <laughs> we have people all over the spectrum. So I didn't want to put you in a corner, but no, that's okay. You know, for, for you, so elaborate more on, on, on that portfolio. So can you take me through how that's evolved over time? Because I, I imagine Rusk Industries was just one business, and then it spurred into these, these separate tranches. Yeah, so you have a company that's growing from six people to 200. So what does that require? Well, that requires space. It requires um, offices. It requires warehouses. It requires all those types of things. So there was opportunities to invest in office buildings, not just for myself, but office buildings that I could build and then, you know, build them bigger than I needed them to and then lease out these uh, these other office spaces to help cover the rent for me. So basically, I have somebody else paying for my building, okay? So there's those types of things. And then once you, once you know how to do that, then you do that off-site. You know, you do it in another city or another town and you create more um, in investment real estate that way. So then your company grows and expands and it gets beyond, you know, the, the hour and a half drive or two hour drive that you can make in one day um, and, and be efficient. So now you open a satellite office. Well, that satellite office grows from six people to, I think, 70 or 80 right now. Th- that in, in tune requires another office space, another warehouse. another. So now you're expanding into more real estate. And your, your, your real estate there is, is real estate that your own company helps support. And then again, if you want to add on to it, and you can supply other people um, office space as well, helping to cover what your initial investment. So those things begin to grow, and you just kind of let them happen, right? Because buildings don't necessarily call in sick. They, they just show up every day. <laughs> so you've got that. And then... You think to yourself, okay, what opportunities are there out there that are close to what I do? So you get involved in developments, maybe um, residential developments, and we did that in Branson, Missouri, where we have 28 lots on a um, on Table Rock Lake, which is a resort in Branson, and um, we're building houses and there's boat docks and it's kind of similar to what I what I do. You know, you go from foundations that you fix to foundations that you build to foundations that you build elsewhere. And so that all kind of went along, and then now you have some capital from all these, all these things, and you invest in, in things that, are, that maybe are supply-side related to your company, but not something you touch every day, like construction chemicals. 
So we got into construction chemicals and invested in that, and that went crazy good. Um, so uh, that happens, and then, you know, then you look at your hobbies, and, you know, I, I happen to be a very health hobby person. Um, I, I, I love the longevity conversations. I love the whole stem cells and exosomes and peptides and biologics. I love all that stuff, all the proactive medicines that you see out there. And um, versus the reactive ones that we use today. And there's opportunities there to invest in things like healthcare companies that are focused in that space that are growing like crazy. And so we've done that. Um, and then there's REITs, real estate investment trusts, people that I know that do that, that are very good at it, that start a new one and they've had a successful track record. So you invest in that. So you, you can see how it just kind of like, it kind of spreads. But I never went too far from my core. Like mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't go from digging ditches to like opening hairdressing salons or something like yeah. that. Something right. I don't know anything about. So yeah, I kind of stayed close. You, I guess you could call them line extensions if you're talking retail um, in this case as a comparison, but um, yeah, it's been good and, and it's, it's done great. I'm, I'm very blessed, very fortunate. I give a lot back and uh, I think it's incumbent upon all of us to do that. Absolutely. Well, in, in the investment world, specifically like pension and endowment, we call it the core strategy, and then you surround it with satellite strategies. So it's a, it's the same thing. Now, can you remember, because especially as an owner, you're reinvesting all the time, which means there could be many moons where you don't take a paycheck. However, there was a point where you've turned the corner. I know your golfing tastes are expensive, and even though I know you're a great golfer, you've probably lost more than enough Pro V1s in your life. So <laughs> when did you start taking distributions in reinvesting into yourself as opposed to the business or balancing that distribution of profit? How You're saying when did, I, when did I take and invest in myself or in, the, in these other satellites? In, 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 your, in yourself, in yourself. Okay, well... I have a sign in the hallway that says, it's a neon sign that I designed and had someone build that says, work hard, play hard. And, and the reason I, I have that sign is because I always believe there's got to be balance in your life. And if you're going to work as hard as we work, and I'm talking about jackhammers and dump trucks and concrete mixing and, you know, demolition, it's, it's hard work. So... We try to balance that out with, with as much possible fun as we can have. And so I'll tell you, I knew when I was, we opened this business when I was 23. I knew by the time I was 26 that I was going to start thinking really big. You know, I'm, I'm going to Scotland to play golf. I'm just going to do that. I, I don't care if I have to plan it three years from now and save 40 bucks a week in some account somewhere. I'm going to do that. Um I started thinking about, you know, I, I, I was a car guy my whole life. My, my, my dad had cars later in life when he was successful, and the guy that I used to work for was really into cars, and I ended up taking care of most of his fleet of stuff, and it was um, something that I loved to do. So, yeah, I started in, in, in you know, my, my first Porsche I bought um, was in 1995, and I remember I saved for seven years to buy that car. And I remember going into the dealership and getting a brochure from the guy. And he's like, are you interested in buying a Porsche? And I said, yeah, in seven years. And he looked at me like I was from Mars. So I took that brochure, put it by my nightstand and looked at it every once in a while, kept it in front of me. And um, year two, I went back. I got another brochure. He still thought I was nuts. Year three, year four. He started to get a look in his face like, you know what? I'm actually starting to believe this guy. <laughs> He's going to come back. Year five, year six, I went in with the brochure and I said, how long does it take to order one of these? He said, about eight months. I said, good, let's do it right here and right now. And he couldn't believe it. He was like, Rusk, I never thought in a million years you were ever going to come back here and buy this car, but you did. And it, it, it again, it took me seven years and seven brochures to get there, but I don't believe it's um, how fast you get something. It's are you going to do it for sure or not. And uh, I think that's uh, it's an effective way to, to live is to anticipate things like that. Yeah. Well, and then there's also things that 
transitioning a little bit, you can't necessarily anticipate. And when uh, we first got together, we were, um, you know, just loving the fact that we're both fellow girl dads. I'm a little bit more recently invited to that game. Uh, you're yeah. a little bit more, more vintage and experienced. But uh, without getting into the details with, with your daughter, Nicole, she's overcome some tremendous adversity. Um, and as a new girl dad, I cannot begin to fathom what you had to go through. And actually, I remember after reading the book, I, I said a prayer for you uh, in your family just because I, I thank you. I, I cannot. Yeah. Words cannot describe that. Again, if you haven't read the book, you need to go read it. It, it, it is a there's positivity at the end. Let's just put it that way. But my question to you is this, what are some of the traits that you've gained from that experience that makes you a better businessman? Well, first off, I was very grateful that I had built a staff of people, not in expectation of a tragic event like that, but in expectation of anything that would take me away, even looking for other opportunities. And although this is, wasn't an opportunity, it was an opportunity for me to get, you know, get 100% involved and get her cured as fast and as best and however I could. And so I would tell you that I don't waste any time in my life since that happened because when, when you know, time is, as you get older, you recognize that time is your most valuable asset. And I think the last time we talked, I said, you know, say yes to everything that you can as far as being with her. Watch every golf swing she takes if she chooses that. Watch every dance she's at. Watch every speech that she does in front of her classmate. I mean, do it all. Go be the guy who delivers the pizzas to them at lunchtime or pours the orange juice or whatever it is. Do it all because it literally goes by so fast. I, I can remember, you know, sometimes I'll see, see uh, dads walking around with their daughters on their shoulders, you know, walking around like this. And I just can't believe that like three years ago, that was Nicole, but she's 26 years old. So it goes by so incredibly fast. So I think, I think being grateful, bingo, huge. Okay. Yeah. Not taking things for granted. Absolutely huge. Being spontaneous. You better believe it. Okay. Not being um, held back by drama or, or negative energy from other people. You've heard them called you know, energy vampires. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nope. Cut them all out. Uh, yeah. Being, being real focused on, on now, on the future, on, on what I can do for my family and for her and, and, and also creating an as, as many amazing moments for myself as I can, because it's not the things you possess that make it good. It's the moments you create with the things you possess that make it so good. It's the memories that you get. And, um, you know, a, a car sitting in my garage can't do anything, but me whipping around a racetrack, that does a lot. So yeah. it, 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 it's, it's just that it, it's just to being very present, being very grateful and, um, and, uh, you know, thanking God for everything that you've been able to pull off and then having the responsibility and, um, the moral character to say, okay, now I'm giving some of that away to somebody else so I can shorten their learning curve. Sure. No, amen to that. Well, and, and you also have mentioned, um, throughout your book, uh, what you call the big three. So comfort, peace, and freedom, and how they all relate to living a more successful and, and fulfilling life. Now, in regards to your own life, I'm going to say this so you don't have to, okay? It's safe to say that you live in the sweet spot of the big three. Again, we don't know what happens behind closed doors, but you wear it all well. Now, my question to you is this. What would you have told your... Uh, younger self when you were first starting out in the business in order to increase that pace to achieving what I'd call the trifecta? I would have said spend a lot more time and a lot more quality in visualizing what it is that you wanted because you, you kind of learn sometimes. Let's take, let's take the Porsche, for example. I never set out to say, 
I'm going to start this visualization program that's going to last seven years. And at the end of that seven years, I'm going to have this car in my garage. I never did that. I just kind of said, well, you know what? My target is that because I have to do these certain things in order to clear the way for me to go ahead and do that. And it ended up being seven years. I never realized, though, how powerful the visual side of my brain was or all of our brains are for that matter. You know, you've heard it a million times. What your brain sees very clearly, it attracts itself to and gets almost every time. Um, that's a responsibility because you need to remain in the positive side of what you see. Otherwise, if you spend the time on the negatives, you're going to get that too. But I think I would have told myself, you know, get a lot of clarity on what you want your life to look like and, and, and recognize and arrive at what would be your perfect nirvana. What would be your combination of comfort, peace, and freedom? Ask yourself, if I could live like that, that would be really cool. And then draw that out, okay? Get brochures for all of it. Vacations, houses, cars, travel, um, uh, uh, you know, business acumen, uh, your health, your hobbies, your sports, parenting, being a great parent, draw that out. Um, your charity, your give back moments, your generosity, time, talent, and treasure. Draw all that out because... I don't want people to think that I focus on things as much as it is what you do with those things and, and having the ability to, um, you know, having the ability to have one of my 18 or 20 dump trucks drive down the road in a parade and, you know, have some of the people throwing out candy to the kids on both sides. I mean, it, it, you got a dump truck, but look at what you're doing with it. You're doing a, a really cool thing and, and you're donating to the city and, and, and make a wish and all, all the other things that we do. So, yeah, I would say I would have probably had me get a lot clearer um, on drawing it out. And that's part of the learning curve. So, you know, if it took me seven years to learn how powerful that, that brain connection was with the car, mm, I should tell somebody not to, not to wait seven years to figure that out, but to start drawing it now and then let your life lead yourself to that eventual conclusion. Yeah, well, and there's, there's so much on the getting clarity aspect of things a, a couple episodes our mutual friend ryan dusick uh, was on and he was mentioning that something similar like i would have told my younger self to do this this and this however being a younger self at least for him being a, a rock star when you're a young rock star you're stubborn you're not going to listen to anyone older right and I, th I think it's probably the same for you and same for me um but one thing you brought up indirectly that I think is is really valuable that I, I hope listeners don't ignore is remember to love the process. Um, I, I, I'm not going to speak for you on the Porsche side of things, but I'm sure there are things that you've gone through or I've gone through where you're looking at the end game, but it, you forget to enjoy the ride until it's done. Now, you can go back and do that same ride again and again, whether it's writing a book or starting another arm of your business, but you can't go back to that core adrenaline rush. And uh, I don't live with regrets, but that's something I even think about uh, to this day. Like, man, I should have enjoyed those first couple years when I was miserable and broke and embarrassingly single. Now, um, you mentioned one of your mentors, uh, Jim, Jim Malone. Is it Malone or Maloney? I think it's Moline. Moline. Okay. All right. Well, I'm over two. So um, <laughs> he ran and owned one of the most successful uh, construction companies around in your area. Yet you always saw him getting the job done no matter what alongside his people for years. Now, as a business owner, there have been times where I felt like I'm running and gunning and doing everything imaginable, which it's part of what you signed up for. But my question to you as a fellow owner is this, how have you maintained the simple yet difficult balance in humbleness that uh, no task is too low, but also I need to start delegating? Well, I think delegation for me came from the fact that I just realized that I couldn't, nor did I want to try to do it all. I see so many guys that are very successful and they're miserable because they're chained to their companies, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. And some of them kind of get off on, yeah, you know, I'm always working. I'm always working. Okay, that's fine. If that's what makes you tick, then do it. 
for me, it was all about balancing the buckets. I mean, you know, you've got all these things that I just mentioned, and I think you need to, I think you need to pour the water into each one of those buckets equally. And, you know, I, I wanted, I didn't want to see, you know, summer is short in Ohio, okay? okay? I didn't want to see a bunch more sundowns without me hitting golf balls. I didn't want that to happen. And, um, and that's just one small example, you know, doing cookouts or spending time with my family or walking my dog or whatever. So I didn't want to, you know, in my office, I can see the sunrise and the sunset. It rises back there and sets over there. And I didn't want to spend my whole life in this box watching that continue to happen. So I thought, I'm just going to replicate what I do as much as I can. And some people say, well, yeah, well, how can you afford to do that? Well, it's simple because let's assume, I'm just going to pick a number out of nowhere. Let's assume that your company does $5 million a year in revenue, okay? And that's where you're, that's where you're kind of clicking along at. So get these people together around you and say, hey, if we really push this thing, how far could we take it, do you think? Now, in your mind, you're going to think six, 6.2, 6.5. They're going to come up with seven, seven and a half, and eight. And you're going to be shocked how, how much more aggressive their numbers are than yours. I mean, this is what happens. So now you're thinking, okay, well, let's assume that we do somewhere between six and a half, my number, and eight, their number. So if you can you know, present a package to them that says, well, if we get to those levels, I'm going to share a piece of that newfound money with all of you to the point where you're going to be really happy. Okay. Like, like really happy. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're talking about, you know, checks that are five and six figures. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they look at you and they go, wait, really? So like we can do this and you'll make that happen if we do this. And yeah, and, and, and I, I put these layers together. I don't want to belabor this point, but right. I put these layers together where everybody has their own monthly bonus. There's a quarterly profit bonus, and then there's an annual bonus based on these newfound numbers that we didn't have before. And and we what we'll do is when we hit those numbers, we will take that some of that revenue, and we'll go to some place like Cancun or Cabo or somewhere like that to hand this out. And to and to celebrate it for a week, and to you know pat each other on the back and 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 hug it out because we all created this together, and invariably, at the pool the next day, even if I'm not around, they're already talking about well, what are we going to do next year to make this happen again? Because I wouldn't normally typically book a trip to Cabo myself, but through this process, I'm going to do this over and over and over, right. and I'm also going to take this money and, and make my life better for it. So. Yeah, I, I, I think when you said before about, you know, standing out, I, I've always thought well, if I had all 200 people sitting in my parking lot right now, shoulder to shoulder, and I was in the middle of it or on one end, I wouldn't want anybody to be able to stand in front of that group of people and go, oh, wow, that's the boss right there. That's him. I wouldn't want that because if that's the case and I haven't, I haven't done what I wanted to do to make this thing feel like the campus effort that it should be, you know. Right. Um, I, I certainly would never be comfortable having people come up, you know, 15 floors in an elevator to see me. That's just not how I work. Yeah. But at the same time, I have a lot of freedom. Uh, my, my, my comfort piece and, and freedom level is, is really good. And there's a heck of a lot of people around me here that would say the same thing for themselves, too. Capitalizers, this episode is sponsored by the best-selling book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. Regardless of where you're at in your financial life, whether you're just beginning to express interest and commitment to your personal finances, at the pinnacle of your career, winding down into retirement, or thinking about your legacy for future generations, this book walks you through every step of the way so you can succeed on your terms and with your own values and passions guiding you. After reading this book, you will officially have Christopher A. Poniotu, the cap in capitalize, in your back pocket, guiding you in detail through every step of the way so that you can take charge of your finances, not the other way around. Head on over to Amazon.com today and start capitalizing your finances to the fullest with this incredible book, Capitalize Your Finances, the how-to financial framework that takes you from compoundingly clueless to monetarily magnificent. And now, back to the episode. Well, and speaking of 
freedom because when you when you're working on your business when you're not in it you also have the freedom to look around and see other opportunities and so you've mentioned that it's not about what people are doing as much as it's what they aren't when it comes to to blue collar work and in your opinion uh what do you see as the largest opportunity in the blue collar world where people quote unquote aren't doing if that makes sense unfortunately it's a big area um chris we're, we're talking about anything that you have to use these two things and i'm waving my hands right now yes. okay yes uh you know you're talking about carpentry and electricians and plumbers and welders and estheticians and and people that own their own bakeries and and and, and chefs and anything in energy um any kind of energy new energy and old energy you know if you think about it, right now, for every 10 contractors that retire, only four or five are coming online. So it doesn't take a supply and demand economics professor to tell you that where supply is low and demand is high, that's where the money goes. And now you're seeing, you're seeing carpenters, electricians, and plumbers making $100,000, $200,000, and people are complaining about the fact that it takes them three months to get to them, and they can't believe how much they're charging to put an outlet in. Well, you know, go to the other side of that equation and you'll see that colleges are way overproducing these bland business degrees that are unusable, liberal arts degrees that are nonspecific and unusable, and, and people coming out with 80000 in debt thinking they're going to make 100 a year. And because there's so many of them, that number has now dwindled to 50 because they can choose from a hundred different candidates to make this thing work. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I, it's, it's kind of a three pronged story, you know, like when I was in high school, there was shop class. You could walk down the hallway, see someone changing a transmission, someone building a leg for a table, someone wiring an outlet, someone welding some metal. You could see somebody doing hair or nails or, or cooking or, they took all those classes out of high school, and that's where millions of kids accidentally discovered how cool it was to be in the trades, right? Yeah. So then you couple that fact with, I ran around my backyard building tree forts with hammer nails and lumber and all that kind of stuff. You probably did the same thing. Now kids are building cities on Minecraft on their cell phones. I mean, that's not the same experience. I mean, I don't care what anybody tells you. So you have that kind of thing, the tablet, the whole tablet generation, and then you have colleges that are really good at shaming you into saying, if you don't go to college, you're, you're going to wind up flipping burgers. I mean, you, you're, you're going to wind up being nothing. That's never been true. It isn't true now. It's, it's less true now than it's ever been. And, um, yeah, so you kind of have this triple-edged sword, if there is such a thing, working against the blue-collar fields. Um, but you know what? Where, where, where if the whole herd's going this way, you might want to go that way because that's where the opportunity and the financial gain is going to be. Yes, contrarian investing in the blue-collar world. That could be a lovely episode to your podcast. Now, Absolutely. For you, um, so speaking of like blue-collar, white-collar, so Peter Thiel, okay, awesome investor, one of the founders of PayPal. He established the Thiel Fellowship, which offers hundred grand to 20 young people each year to skip college and pursue business ideas uh, while being mentored by the foundation's network or framework. Can you talk about this in your book? So as I was reading that, and as I got to know you the first time we spoke and in between, I've been curious since you've garnished such, such a hold on the blue collar landscape have you ever thought of starting an equivalent, but strictly focusing on the blue collar side of businesses? You know, it, it, it's funny that you, you say that because I've done small um, scholarships here and there. I, I've worked with uh, Junior Achievement and I've worked with um, uh, Boys and Girls Clubs. And um, I've told that story. And invariably, I'll get a half a dozen kids that walk up to me and say, you know, I want to start my own hairdressing business or I want to start a music business where I sell instruments. Right. And I just think it's awesome. So, yeah, we tend to support those those places with our dollars because we hope that those things shorten the learning curve for people that are getting into, you know, doing something for themselves. And 
again, there, there's there's got to be balance. I mean, I interviewed this morning. I interviewed a, a, a young gal named Isla. She's 11 years old, and uh, she started a bakery company in her kitchen. She was selling boxes of cookies by the street side, and now she's so busy. She comes home from school. She has her mom and other people in the family that are all helping her run this business. She put a GoFundMe thing out there. She got so much money from all over the country that she bought these double ovens and these stainless steel tables, and she's now thinking about how she can find a location because once she finds a location, she can ship things all over the country uh, in, in, in regulatory you know, fashion. Yes. <laughs> and people can enjoy uh, her stuff, and, and her stuff's fantastic. And, you know, shout out to her. Isla's, uh, I'm sorry, Isla's Divine Desserts.com. So she, she's such a great kid. And, you know, I asked her, I said, why do you think total strangers from around the country would give you money? Why, why would they do that? And she said, probably because they saw me willing to work hard and willing to make something happen, willing to do something, and they got excited about that. And she's 11. 11. And, and her mom was sitting right next to her, smiling away, and, and we had a great conversation. So, yeah, I, I, I truly think that we've flipped this thing so much that carpenters are going to be making more than attorneys, and welders are going to be making as much as family doctors. And you're going to see this thing get really weird, but it's going to be an amazing opportunity. And for those people who say, well, that's just going to be cyclical, a good recession will pound that back in the dirt. Uh, no, it won't because we haven't changed shop class in high school. We haven't we haven't put our kids back in the yard to go play in the creek and climb trees and, and go do those kinds of things. So that's not going away anytime soon as far as I can see. No. Well, one thing that you, you mentioned early on, and this was when you were going through um, everything with your daughter as – in regards to time, time being the most valuable currency there is. Now, you had that literally thrown in your face uh, one Christmas when you had the elephant gift, okay? And uh, there was this clock that you got that calculated basically how much time you have left on Earth. And, you know, when I was reading your book going, you couldn't reset this thing, and it's staring at you in the face... Um, obviously you start prioritizing things a lot more efficiently. People would think it's ruthless. I would argue that you're just being more efficient with the time you have left. Now, my question with that is a multi-parter. Okay. So number one, do you wish you had that clock earlier in your career or life or not? And then number two, what have been the biggest benefits from you for you, excuse me, since you shifted your mindset to the time method, or shall I say the post-ticking clock of death method? Well, first off, I was, I was just getting to the point where I was really taking on a, a huge role in, in our company. So I was probably 26 or 7 when I got that clock. And, you know, when you're taking on a brand, when you're taking on a role of, of, of running your, your own show and growing a company bigger, you, you tend to, you tend to want to show value everywhere. Okay. Why is this 26 year old kid telling me a 45 year old male or man or woman how to run my sales program? I mean, who is he to tell me these things? So you're constantly running around trying to prove your value. Mm hmm and um, why you deserve to have this position, even though you're, you're, you're signed on the dotted line for all the money. You're taking all the risk. You're the only one that loses if it goes sideways. Sure. So, yeah, so I, I think what the clock did was it cut down the time that I really spent, you know, trying to say, okay, I have a lot of value here, and, and, and you know, this is why I should be doing what I'm doing which is something that a lot, a lot of young presidents go through they, you know, of their companies. It really is. So, yeah, I'm, I'm talking to someone on the phone. I'm looking at the clock. I'm seeing that I talked for five minutes. It's going backwards, and I'm not this, – this call doesn't mean anything, okay? I'm just doing it because it was set up to do. 
So, yeah, I start eliminating those kinds of things. Um, you, you eliminate drama in your life. I told you you carve out unproductive things. You carve out unproductive people. You okay. carve out energy vampires. You, you, do, you do a lot of those things um, to, uh, to, to make your time more useful. Now, how have I benefited? Well, again, that's where all the buckets came from. I have to start dipping very, very equally into everyone or filling every one of these buckets my spiritual side my health side my um my vacation side um my time with my family side uh my charity side uh and then those other things like you know your houses and your things you want to acquire in in your work in fact i have a sticky note on my computer to this day that says me first and what I mean by that is I come in on Monday and the first thing I think about is what days am I working out? When am I going to golf? When am I going out to dinner? What fun am I going to schedule for myself? And then I feel work in after all that. And it just seems to work for me. I don't know if it would work for everybody because some people feel like the only way they're, they've done anything is if they go home and tell their spouse, oh, man, look at me. I solved this and I fixed that and I answered this and I created that and, you know, I challenge these people on this, and I change this. Okay, that's fine. If that's how you feel value, then then do it. But it certainly wasn't in, in my case. Yeah. Now, I will uh, briefly push back on the the me first with having a just over two month old daughter. I don't know how far <laughs> that would go in the Ponyo Two household right now, but I think after a year, I'm going to shoot my shot, and then if it doesn't work out, I'll just connect you and my wife. And I can just throw you under the bus if that's okay. Well, yeah, but the difference is um, spending time with your daughter is a me first thing. If 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 that if that is something that that supplants, you know, doing that extra weird thing at work that you don't have to do, it's still me first. So yes. you win either way. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the definition of the difference between a rookie dad and a veteran dad of getting <laughs> out of the doghouse. So now, in in regards to financial planning. Okay, Um, you've mentioned the flaws of the statement, quote, when I get a bit of extra money, I'm going to start saving for my retirement or a saving account for my retirement. And as you can imagine, I've also heard that uh, in too many times to count. One thing that I think is really fascinating about the blue collar industry in general, doesn't matter where you're looking, is there's a so the employees that I've seen on average, they don't really think as long-term on the investment and planning side of things. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is on the flip side of that, the owners of these blue collar businesses are some of the most disciplined people I have ever met. And it's so that the technical standard deviation curve is very massive. And so for you, I, I wanted to pick your brand on that. Where do you think that difference comes from specifically in the blue collar world? And do you see that shift in mindset uh, for those shorter sighter employees to a more prudent time horizon? I can see it a little bit, but also when I come in and talk to people, they kind of know, oh, I need to put my mature hat on. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I, I think it's kind of built in in the industry that, Sometimes people think that blue-collar workers, they just live for Friday and, 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 you know, going out to the bar on Friday night and spending half their paycheck with their buddies. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's kind of built in a little bit. It's, it's kind of a stigma that's always been there. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I can tell you, for me, you can flip that switch with two quick stories. Actually, it's, it's one combined story. So... You know, most people wait until, you know this, they're in their mid-30s or late-30s. Oh, I, I need to start thinking about retirement. That is so way too late to come to the game, and, and you know this. So when you tell somebody who's 21 or 22, I can make you a millionaire in 20 minutes, you're going to get their attention, okay? And when you start talking about, at least in our situation, and this isn't for everyone, but... The 401k is such a valuable tool in our business. You know, you get two people, and I do this all the time. I'll get one guy and another guy, and they'll be standing up, and I'll say, okay, this guy decided to start saving 60 bucks a week in his 401k, 
Um, he not only saved the whole dollar pre-tax, but I gave him a quarter on top of that. So there you go. This guy started tried to do the same thing on his own. He only gets 75 cents of the money because he had to pay taxes, right? Right. So then this guy had to do this for 10 years, and he's done. He saved for 10 years. He's done. When he, when, when he retires, because of the time value of money and the power of young money, he, he's going to have over a million dollars in his same in his retirement account. And it took him 20 minutes to fill out that, that documentation, mm-hmm. right? The other guy, is he's going to wait till he's 33 to do it, 35, 38. He's going to have to save for 30 years just to barely catch up to this guy and not even come close to what he's going to have at the end of the day. So you put that example out there, and they almost look at you like, that can't be real. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll say to somebody, um, I'm going to pay you 50 grand a year, but I want you to thank me for paying you $47,000 a year. Okay, and they look at you like, okay, you're from Mars. No, I'm not from Mars. I want you to forget about that first 3000 You never had it. You never spent it. You're not used to getting it. You don't see it on your paycheck. It's going to disappear. Live on the forty-seven. okay? Live on that because this is how I'm going to make you a millionaire in 20 minutes. Yeah. And they again, they, they look back and they go, wow, I normally would have waited until the end of my month or the end of my money to even think about saving. But what you're saying is get it out of the way first and never think about it again. Absolutely. Why they don't teach that in high school, I think is one of the biggest tragedies of our educational system. Why they don't teach simple compounding interest and investing and, and, and have guys like you go in and say, guys, this is so easy to do and it's so much more powerful when you're young. Don't wait till you're old like yeah. us to try and do this. Yeah. Um, it just boggles my mind. Yeah. Well, and I, I can actually speak to why I, I can't speak to why it's it's not in school. That I, I cannot I never will be able to crack that code. I will say from the motivation side of things, it's no different than anything. You've gotta want it. Now, I like that that story where you say, Hey, I can make you a millionaire in twenty minutes. Now if they just say no, then they're screwed. I mean you, you can't help right. them. Um Right. But it's it's amazing to me, and I'm not going to go too far down this this rabbit hole. How in schools, in, in particular public schooling today, right now, just the lack of care of that topic. Which again, part of it I get it because when you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, at least for me, I cared about you know sports and hanging out with my friends. I, I didn't really care about that stuff per se, um, but. But again, I, I, I agree with you. There needs to be that inflection point. And that's music to my ears knowing that the blue-collar world is shifting that. Because again, there are stigmas and stereotypes with, with every business. Now, fun fact about you. Um, you absolutely love the game of golf. And yes. uh, as we're recording this, actually, this was just after the Masters. Um, and so when you first asked me how I was doing and I said, excellent, I should have said not as well as John Rahm, but I'm doing pretty well now, right. <laughs> you know, uh, you've mentioned in golf, which again, I can relate to wholeheartedly. There's always something to work on and improve. And it's all on you. Now, this is going to be a bit of an abstract question for you, but I'm, ex- I've been excited to throw it at you. Okay. Being a golf fan, what would you say is the blue collar business equivalent of ripping a driver, being deadly with your chipper, and mastering your putting, like the parallels in the business? I, I would I would say ripping a driver is when you've got this group of entrepreneurs around you, and you can see that they're all clicking on their own gas. They're all they're all doing their own thing, but they're doing it as a cohesive unit, and you start hitting these big goals. You know, you start hitting these goals that you never thought. Like, I never thought I could hit it 300 yards, but occasionally, with the right wind and the right angle, I'm going to do that. And um, to see that happen, I think is really, really cool. So that's definitely ripping ripping the driver. I I would say um, being deadly with my chipping. Well, you know, there's something that every business owner really wants to make sure that he has, and that is an awesome reputation. Okay, Mm -hmm. so for me, it's all about that's a very delicate thing to do. It's a very delicate balance, you know, keeping that 
you know, we have a 4.7 record on Google, and we're trying to get a 4.8. We're working very hard at it. It's hard to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's things like the Better Business Bureau and all these other Angie's lists and all these other consumer groups that look at you all the time. So I would say having a great reputation where your customers feel like they got a five-star experience because it's very delicate. Every customer is different. Every customer understands and doesn't understand things. There are customers that are expressives, that are analyticals, that are amiables, you know, <laughs> that are drivers. And, and you have to delicately, um, you know, figure out a way to make those people really, really happy day in and day out and then stand behind what you do. If, if I thought about the putter, I would say that there are systems that you do. There are, you know, the reason people buy franchises is because there's a well-worn path of success before them. Okay, so with the putter, I would say these are these are things that you have to do. You have to be very precise. You have to be very intentional. You have to follow a definite, I would say, almost habit and um, and a procedure. And and with a putter, you know, there are things you need to kind of read. You need to kind of see where the ball is going to go or you need to see what what's going to affect its path. But you still stroke the ball the exact same way every single time. And so I think applying the methods that work and not straying too far from the things that work, but reading your audience at the same time to make those last minute changes, I think would probably be, that'd be putter like, I guess. That could be the best answer we have ever had in the history (laughs) of the show. My team was a little hesitant for me to ask it, but of course I'm going to roll the dice and you stuck the landing on that. I I I mean, for those that are listening in and not watching on, on, on YouTube when this airs, I am just gooberly smiling from ear to ear. Now, <laughs> I, I have to ask, okay? Uh, so when you played San Andrews with your buddies, what was your score? Just really quick. Uh, I shot 79. Good God. Good for you, man. That is yeah. fantastic. So Yeah, it was cool. So before we close it out, we have a couple more questions. And then, you know, being a, a man in high demand, both in the in the office as well as on the golf course, um, I want to be respectful of your time. And so uh, briefly, uh, let our listeners know a little bit more about your class and, and, and what it entails online. So, so many times you see people that read these self-help books or whatever you want to call it, entrepreneur books or, or whatever they are, and they read the book and they get all excited and they put the book on the shelf and then they go to work on Monday and they don't really implement anything that they learned from that book. Or they try to do it for a week, and it doesn't really work. They don't get the feedback instantaneously that they wanted, so they kind of abandon it. And I always love it when I see guys that have, uh, you know, behind them a whole shelf, a whole wall full of books that they've read. And I begin to ask them, well, how did that one change your life, and how did this one alter what you do? And maybe they can answer, maybe they can't. But, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we had done some book clubs here long ago, Who Moved My Cheese, um, Books like uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, you know, those kinds of things where, where we read the book and then we had a class where we implemented the things and actually put them into practice. Gung-ho, all those kinds of books. So I wanted to make sure that I could develop something where a young person or a person that maybe already went to college is in their mid-30s but they hate what they did and they never wanted to go and they want to get back to a, a trades job or whatever um, and to, to do something they're more passionate about, or even a business owner who wants to do what I just said, you have a book club meeting with all of his staff and, and go through this course. I put this together because I wanted you to read the book and not say, wow, that was an awesome book, that was really cool. I wanted you to say, okay, and I took what he said, I put it into practice today and my life is different because of that it's called it's called the path to success and um it's called it's it's like a blueprint for for your your life here and it's eight sessions it's 45 minutes a session and um you know it's funny chris because i've seen so many of these courses that are 1500 2000 3000 no i i price this thing at 129 dollars you get a free $25 book with it, and when you buy that, you can donate one to a friend or a neighbor or a loved one that you think might need some help as well. So it's kind of a buy one, get one free thing. I'm looking to help people, not only help themselves, but help somebody else in the process. And um, I, I really hope people take it, take advantage of it and, and, and take it because, you know, so far I've had rave reviews on it that, that people are like, okay, now I get it. I'm in control of my life. 
I'm in control of my input. I'm in control of my output, the quality of that output, my day, my time, my schedule, my financial gain. I'm in control of all this, not, not the powers that be everywhere else. And uh, I've had awesome feedback from it, so I hope people enjoy it, take it, and um, make something happen for themselves. And I think they will. Now, before we close out, I have one final question for you. Uh, in any business, it's, it's not the obvious things to, to avoid that can hurt you because, again, it's obvious. It's the not so obvious. And in your opinion, what are the biggest not so obvious aspects of the blue collar business that those in the world need to watch out for that they otherwise wouldn't know is a danger? Well, there's obviously compliance issues, you know, things that come to out from nowhere to bite you. Like, you know, there's always there's always like a wage an hour thing that's that that someone could come in and audit you on or, you know, they audit you from from your financials and that kind of thing. And, you know, maybe workers comp compliance issues. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that stuff that you work really, really hard and you have a lot of people, there's always going to be a mistake or two. And, you, you know, they come in, they check it out. And maybe there's an adjustment and then you move on. So those are kind of like baked in the cake. I think that's just part of running a business. But, but I, I think the I think the biggest thing to for me to watch out for is are the people in your company are they are they succeeding for themselves? Are they chasing something? Are they actively anticipating things? And are they working like someone who is anticipating good things for themselves? Because the more people you have rowing together, the farther they're going to take your company way further than you can take it on your own. Trust me there. And their numbers and expectations are going to be higher than your own. So I would just say, be careful that you don't put the ceiling on yourself because the people around you will blow that ceiling out and um, just make sure that they're all chasing something. You're going to have a really good result. That is awesome. Now, Ken, where can capitalizers go to best support you? Well, if you go to KenRusk.com, you'll see what we're up to there. You can buy the book. You can buy the course. You can buy them independently. Um, if, you, uh, if you go to uh, Ken Rusk Official, uh, you'll see all the different socials there, and you'll see what we're up to there talking about um, you know, just mindsets and, and how we feel about you know, life and setting goals and, and, uh, and making your life happen for yourself. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's been really good. You know, I never thought this thing would go 10 feet, much less 10 miles that it's gone. And it, it's been it's been really great. I'm eternally grateful and very blessed. Thank the Lord for a lot of it. And, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's been a hell of a ride. Absolutely, man. Well, I am thankful to call you a friend. And we're going to have to have you back on uh, very, very soon. And for those of you sure. that are tuning in, as always, thank you so much for listening in to Capitalize Your Finances. For those of you newbies, if you have any questions, comments, concerns about today's episode, please either give me an email, shoot me an email, chris at capitalizeyourfinances.com or give us a call at 253-214-3050. And I would be more than willing to answer anything on your lovely brain. As always, I'm your host, Chris Ray Paniotu, the Cap and Capitalize. And until next time, keep capitalizing. Take care. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. Investments in non-traded real estate investment trusts, REITs, are subject to significant risks. You should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of a non-traded REIT before investing. The prospectus, which contains this and other important information, can be obtained from your financial advisor. You should read it carefully before investing or sending money. This material should not be considered a solicitation of an offer to sell or buy any specific security or offering. Investors should consult a financial professional to determine whether risks associated with an investment in the shares are compatible with their investment objectives. Examples cited or hypothetical are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed, and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or illustrated. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Ken Rusk and any other individual or company mentioned in this podcast are not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial. Thank you.